Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 102, with my lovely mapped team, Rachel Grubbs in the top right corner, co-founder at Mapped, MCAT test prep extraordinaire, um, here to answer all of your questions. Um, Indeed. Indubitably. That's my favorite word these days. Indubitably. <laughs> uh, Verenia Granum in the middle on the right. Yes. Uh, the former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University. Indubitably. Indubitably. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Scott Wright, uh, the man who needs no introduction, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director of all of TMDSAS. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> right. Uh, and me, uh, I'm just Ryan Gray, uh, here to read your questions and have all of my star, uh, smart colleagues answer them for you. Uh, let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. So if you have a question, go over to maps.tv, ask those questions there. That's where we'll take them and pull them up on screen to, uh, to hopefully enlighten you in this pre-med process. Can I just make one point? Yes. Before we continue, you may. I will knowing allow it. where knowing where all of our students are at this point in in the process, or, or many of them, we're at the you know the the day one of June. Uh, yesterday was the first uh, AMCAS submission day, and I think it would be great if all of our viewers and listeners could. Just take a deep breath. Nose out to it's going to be okay. You can do this. Successful, positive thinking, positive thought. Speak it into existence. Yes, yes, I thought that would be an appropriate thing to do for today. Yes, there's, <laughs> there's a there's a Bugs Bunny cartoon that I always think about uh, in stressful times like this. <laughs> the, Bugs Bunny is in a um, he's in a, an airplane that's like crashing. It's just going straight down, nose dive. <laughs> he's just running around, ah, just like over and over and over again. It's just it's hilarious. And then it's a cartoon. Obviously, the plane like runs out of gas, and so it stops midair before it hits the ground. Like <laughs> gravity no longer is there. It exists, and he's like, oh, the world isn't ending. I'm, I'm okay. nice. That's all. That's all. Um, <laughs> wait, before we get into questions, a couple comments from students. Our friend Anissa. Yay, Anissa. Deep breaths. Keep breathing deep, Anissa. I know you've been working really hard. Yep. Um, And then also somebody else says, QROR31 says, about to submit in like three minutes. Um, I always love that kind of LOL that's not really I'm laughing out loud, but like more like my face is melting, (laughs) so I'll try to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Nervous The new emoji that's like the melt. Yeah. Um, and we'll start with this very apropos question. Amy, latest I should submit my submit. You should submit your AMCAS uh, to still be early. Um, you're already late, Amy. Sorry. <laughs> that no, ship failed yesterday. Don't. No. Okay. no, no oh, no, darn it. I should. You're going to get so stressed. <laughs> um, Dr. Wright. Yes. What is early and let's preface and educate a little bit for those who don't know, why does early matter? Yeah, so I, I, and let me start with the, the, the first uh, or the uh, second question first. And that would be, why does, er, why does early matter? Because this is a rolling process. And what that means is, as admissions committees get the information, get the application data on, on various applicants in downloads from the AAMC or from ACOMAS or from TMDSAS, the admissions committees are making decisions about who should be interviewed. And as that 
that process goes forward, that is eliminating available interview slots for 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 students. So 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 the because we know that the number of interview slots is a finite number, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, as that finite number is gets closer and closer in terms of reality, it reduces the number of, of potential slots that are available for other students that come later. And so I think uh, the emphasis on early application is so that you're in the first groups that are being evaluated. So you have the greatest uh, opportunity, the greatest uh, uh, probability of uh, getting uh, getting an inter- interview slot at that school. So by virtue of that, I think we always encourage early application. The question that then is what does early mean? What what it, what does in fact that mean? Does that mean the first day and after the first day it's not early anymore? Or what what does that mean? And I, I think my feeling is that uh, if you submit sometime in the month of June, uh, you know, uh, it, really any time in the month of June, but certainly you know you could say by mid to mid to three quarters of the way through June, you're in, you're, you're in an early application period. You, you're you're going to be fine. It takes uh, the 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 timing on the processing uh, depends a little bit on which application service you're using. Uh, the Texas application, for a variety of reasons, is a little bit shorter in terms of that processing time. AMCAS is a little bit longer uh, because of, uh, or kind of a lot longer sometimes because of the mass of applications that they're getting. Uh, so, but end result is. Early application, I think June fine. Uh, earlier in June, you know, if you're if you're ready, but don't don't feel like you got to do it so quick that it jeopardizes your preparation. Making sure that everything is ready, making sure your personal statement exact is exactly the way you want it, uh, et cetera. Those types of things. Yeah. Exactly. So I haven't done this before, but I have the ability to right now. So I'm going to see if I can uh, do this, um, if it will allow me. Let's see. Oh, yeah, that works. All right. I have I have my iPad attached. So as Rachel has found out uh, recently, I love to scribble on my iPad to give ideas about things. So I'm going to um, share my screen here. And I think it's this one. Yeah. Um, it, the... I'll, I'll hold it here. Uh, the whole kind of early admissions thing is basically, uh, mm, let's do uh, s- s- uh, solid line is number of interview spots. And that's a very thick line. Oh, why is it so thick? Anyway, uh, and then dotted line is going to be number of applicants on this, uh, on, on the uh, vertical. And then this is just time, right? So open... And then deadline, which we want to ignore. We don't want to ignore the, or we don't want to think about the deadline. And so the number of interview spots over this time, there's probably a sharp decline at the beginning. And then it, it goes down, right? As, as students are, or as schools are looking at applications, they get all of the 528 and 4.0 students. They're like, Ooh, we want this person. Uh, and then, but the, unfortunately the number of applicants is just constantly going up and up and up over time. And and so at some point, there's a happy medium where it's like, okay, you're late <laughs> because there are now more applicants, the number of seats available and schools are just overwhelmed. And, and so this is what we talk about with rolling admissions. As time goes on, this, this solid line, the number of interview spots is constantly going down. This is where uh, I always talk about it's a giant game of musical chairs. Although instead of N plus one, or n minus one rather, uh, number of a number of players uh, and and one less seat available. The number of seats is just going uh, down and down and down, and the number of players is going up and up and up and up. So, I thought I'd scribble thoughts on there. All right. Apparently, they can only hear me on instagram okay hmm. just see well isn't that convenient 
<laughs> Ooh, it must be a mistake. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, Lisa, am I early enough if my Casper scores are released to Texas schools by the end of June? The rest of my supplemental material is already submitted. Yes. Yep. Yes, Lisa. Easy peasy. Having a hard time finding clinical hours. Any advice? I just finished finished my first year of community college. Oh, awesome. Congrats, AG. Yeah, that's awesome. Verinia, yeah. clinical hours. Where where can students go for some clinical hours? Yeah, I mean, it's the good thing in this student's case is that they're early enough, right? They just finished community college, so you're probably starting out your journey. Um, you have to keep knocking on doors, go to the hospitals, go to hospices, go to nursing homes, um, clinics. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a paid position. It can be volu- volunteer work. Um, but you really do have to kind of just go and literally knock on doors. Um, the the work is out there. You may have to kind of rearrange your schedule for other things if it means like commuting, you know, maybe a little farther out or whatever. Um, but just um, be, be persistent. Be persistent. Keep looking. Um with COVID, obviously things were shut down for a while, but now things seem to be reopening. So um, check, you know, there's different types of positions you can do, right? Um, scribing is a great way to get clinical um, experience. Um, volunteering in a nursing home, in a hospice unit, as I said before, hospice care, as I said before, um, you just kind of have to keep knocking on doors. Knocking on doors. Yeah. Austin asks, my best friend is applying. I I have a friend (laughs) applying MD-PhD this cycle. He just got his MCAT score back yesterday. That friend, he got a 504. (laughs) His his extracurriculars (laughs) and research are solid and GPA is a 3.7. Would you recommend he retake in June? Well, Austin's friend... Um, <laughs> Scott, uh, uh, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, uh, big academic mm-hmm. research heavy institution. Right. How, how much should MCAT impact for MD PhD applicants, their decision to, to move forward or not? Yeah, I think it should impact it. Uh, I think that, um, you have to remember, be- um, uh, Austin, and Austin's friend that uh, you are also applying to medical school and uh, medical school is going to look at the, at the MCAT score 504 is uh, I would say for MD PhD program is quite low. Um, And so I would definitely recommend uh, a retake uh, in June. I think that that would be appropriate. Yeah. Roman asks, I'm going to be working in food service at a hospital this summer. Would you classify that as clinical experience? My job description includes preparing and taking food to patients. Roman, let's uh, use some critical thinking here. Food service, uh, whether you're at McDonald's or in a hospital, if you're not interacting with patients in some way other than here's your food, ma'am, um, do you think that is clinical? I'll leave it at that. Isabella, I already have four secondary invites for TMDSAS. Woohoo! I know many schools don't start reviewing until July 1st, such as UT Southwestern. Is there a benefit to submitting them now versus later in June? Rachel, what is the potential problem of like, well, I know you're not going to look at it for a little bit, so I'm just going to sit on it. Yeah, so you're right. They probably aren't going to look for a little later, but uh, they have to decide how they're going to go through them. And, you know, we'll never know, right? It's it's behind a veil. It's holistic review. Everybody gets a review. But if you submit them later, you could be sending a message to the med schools. Hey, I'm applying to 40 schools. I had to decide whose secondary is to turn around first, and I didn't pick you. And sometimes good candidates um, just don't seem that interested and therefore maybe don't seem worthy of an interview invite. So, you know, two minutes ago, five minutes ago, Dr. Gray drew that line about the dotted line going down, even though they're not 
offering interviews yet, you want to make sure that they're looking at your secondary as early as possible. And there's a good chance they're looking at them roughly in the order they came in. Um, the other thing is, I don't know if you only did Texas, if you also did AMCAS, you know, if you're only applying in Texas, but you're going to get a lot more secondaries. So any you can pre right now and get done and submit, just get them off your plate so you can move on. Yep. All righty. And I, I fixed Instagram, so it's working now. Uh, Jackie, hello. I'm in non-trad working full-time and already had a degree. I'm taking prereqs part-time now. Do I still need to have a full-time semester taking prereqs to demonstrate academic ability? Dr. Wright, the non-trad working person, potentially, uh, this comes up a lot, especially with non-trads of, uh, or, yeah. or students who need to work to support themselves during their traditional route as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they can only take maybe two classes or three classes a semester, and there's concern that that's not going to show academic rigor for medical schools. What shall we do? Yeah, I think that um, it, it depends a little bit on um, Jackie, when the degree that you have, when that was granted and, you know, how long ago that was, uh, you're taking prerequisites now part-time. It also depends a little bit on how you did in the degree program. Uh, if you were a great student, then, uh, doing work full-time and stuff uh, when you got your undergraduate degree and now you're still doing great uh, taking the part-time classes, then it it wouldn't be as much of an issue. If, however, um, conversely, you had um, not done as well in your original degree program and now you're doing better, then that, that sends a little bit of a mixed message. When you were a full-time student, you were not doing, you know, maybe great, now that you're doing your prereqs and it's part-time, you're doing great, but is that because you, you know, because you're different and you, you, you are a better student now or is, you know, it, it, it just, it com, com, complicates the process a little bit. So I think if you could have a full-time semester, uh, I think that would be beneficial uh, for your application to show that I can do this, uh, you know, with a full-time load and, uh, and, and, uh, that may require taking, you know, some time off from work or it may be, you know, whatever. But I do think uh, I do think that uh, maybe having a full time semester or two would be would be beneficial. But again, it kind of depends on the whole picture in terms of what that looks like for you as an individual. Yeah. Awesome. Lots of comments today. Lots yeah. of comments. It's the season. It's the season. <laughs> <laughs> to be jolly. Fa la la It's great. Uh, you got a comment first for me? Okay, Kaylee. Kaylee. I'm retaking my MCAT this month. I'm sending in one app for primaries, uh, so adding one school to the primaries, uh, to get them verified and adding the rest mid-July when I get m- my new MCAT results. Is that too late? I'm pre-writing secondaries, too. If you're pre-writing those secondaries and you're ready to turn them around, you will be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the that is the strategy that uh, we recommend. I was against it when I first learned about this one school game that students played. I'm like, why play this game? Uh, but I definitely understand it now. So students, yeah, you have to add one school to your primary application uh, to submit it to get verified. You take your MCAT, you get your score back. And if you're happy with your score, then you go, wonderful, I'm already verified. I'm going to add all of the other schools to my list that I that I was planning on applying to. I've been working on secondary essays during this time. So when you add those schools, you'll get those secondary essay requests within a day or two, typically, because it's pretty automated at that point. And, um, and then you just submit the secondaries and, and you'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
that guy. Yeah, that and actually, uh, I want to give that guy credit. He resubmitted yeah. with his name. So, Dwight, thank you. And I would have answered it anonymously, but I just yeah. I, pr- I appreciate that you asked. So, yeah. Ryan, you want to read that and we can tackle? Yeah. So, genuine question. How can you charge 5000 and up for application services? Does this not promote the inequality of the system that you always talk about? It does uh, <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> And uh, there, there's a reason uh, why we do things the way we do them. Rachel, you want to talk about kind of our, our method to the madness? Yeah. And again, Dwight, I appreciate you asking because this is something yeah. we try to be transparent about. So, yeah, uh, we have one-on-one advising services. And although it's limited, we only take about 20 25 per advisor. There are students who are paying five to $7,000 for a 40 week long, essentially one-on-one tutorial and advising. Um, that's, that's big money, right? I mean, it's, it's, let's be real. It's, it's, it's either 1% money or people who are not 1% and had to work real hard to scrape together the funds for it. So why do we do that? Well, let's back up and think about what else we do, right? Um, we've written several books that are available for like eight bucks on Kindle, 14 bucks for, for hardcover, you know, Ryan gets like a dollar, when he, when you buy them, <laughs> literally, we have 10 years of free podcasts that we've been creating so many podcasts. I can't count. We literally were just doing a podcast meaning and only listing the current ones. But if you list the ones that like we did for a few years and then kind of outgrew millions and millions of downloads of free material, medschoolheadquarters.net has all of our podcasts, all of our videos, we type up show notes for them. So if you're a reader, not a listener, you can, you can read the notes there. All of our YouTube product, uh, products, sorry, that's business <laughs> speak. All of the video series we make. And that's just media, right? And then we have MapDap. And MapDap has thousands and thousands of free users and a very small percentage of paid users. And we like it like that. That's how we built it. So our philosophy is information should always be free. The, the big issue that Ryan and I have had, it's why we founded MAP, is that before, if you didn't go to a posh, small school, right? Because even really big state schools, even if they have highly qualified advisors, they tend to be overwhelmed and under-resourced. So if you weren't lucky enough to be at a small school with an advisor who had a really small headcount of pre-med students, you might not get all the information you need. So we're trying to change that. But, you know, we have mortgages to pay and families to feed and we have to make enough money to keep creating all this free stuff. So that's where the one-on-one advising comes in. Um, There are no secrets in one-on-one advising. All the information we give people in private sessions is already available publicly. It's just handholding. And to your point, Dwight, we keep looking for more and more economical ways. So it used to be there was only one-on-one advising for the last two years, two years we've done group advising. That's $500. That's still a lot of money. I'm not pretending it's not a lot of money, but 500 is way better than 5,000. Um, so we're going to keep looking for ways to bring you guys good stuff that's economical and affordable and good stuff that's just free. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, does it not promote the inequality of the system we always talk about? Yeah, it still might. Because there are still people who are paying for $5,000 products, but we are trying to find a balance. Yeah. The Robin Hood method, as, as we <laughs> often call it, uh, we, we take from those who can't afford and yeah. we provide a lot of value in return. Uh, and we turn around and take that money, put it back into the business, um, uh, feed us, support us and be able to continue to add staff. We just hired a new advisor who's starting. We hired more support people that are helping us continue to grow, continue to provide more and more and more free value for everyone as well. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's a never ending stream of uh, uh, messages and emails where people just message me going, I've never talked to you, but I listened to all your stuff. I read your books. Thank you so much. I got into med school. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we do. So yeah, yes. All right. Uh, thank you for asking that question. Uh, we we are definitely open and transparent about that kind of stuff. Alexis, I'm going to be a freshman in college and want to go pre med. Do you have any advice on what I should be doing this first year in order to prepare the best? Great question, Verinia. Uh, let's let's reword a little bit uh, and then answer more directly. What is a, a super common mistake that 
that first year students mm-hmm. uh, on this pre-med journey, what, what's a common mistake that they make? Taking on too much, mm. taking on way more than they are used to in terms of courses and the amount they they underestimate the amount of time it's going to take to study these new you know science courses yes you've taken sciences before um but not at this pace um so it's just underestimating how much work is going to be required what you did to study in high school kind of you know got you through high school pretty quickly and easily it's a whole new ball game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on top of that, taking on, right, your first year of college. So you want to, you know, explore all the different student organizations and you want to get involved on campus and you want to, you know, get straight A's. It, it, they, it just becomes so much. And before you know it, you're neck deep in 500 different things that you have to do and you haven't learned how to manage your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so take it easy. Take it, not not saying you should just kind of slack off, but pace yourself. You're just starting out. Take the classes you need to take in your first semester, your intro to bio, your intro to chem, your other requirements. Connect with your advisor very quickly, very early on, your pre-health advisor on campus or your academic advisor. Get a layout of the whole, you know, do a four-year plan so you understand what you're going into for your major, for your degree, and for your pre-med requirements. And slowly, you know, get your study habits in order and then slowly start to explore what clubs are, you know, available to me. What can I do to get involved? That kind of thing. But do not underestimate how much work your first semester of college is going to be. Yeah. So, yep. good luck. Yeah. yeah. Good for you for planning ahead. Luck, Anissa. Any tips for Casper? So I I feel bad for Casper because their 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 branding uh, before it was capital all capital C A S P and then lowercase E R. They've now rebranded to where Casper is just regular uh, kind of case uh, with capital C. Um, one day we'll we'll uh, there we hey look at that <laughs> it's two two guys. <laughs> With headsets and blue shirts. I resent that. I didn't I didn't say both. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh any anyway. Um Casper from Altis. Casper the Friendly Ghost. The the first place to go is premediers.com slash three oh three, talking about those free resources that we love putting out. Uh, that's the first place I would go. Map.tv also has an updated conversation with Dr. Kelly Dore from the Altis team from National Premed Day 2021, where we talked about snapshot and duet. You can go find that on our uh, map.tv channel. So uh, that's where I would start out. Uh, the biggest piece of advice is just go to takealtis.com, go and check out their practice tests, their little samples that they have. So you understand the format, go register and go take the test. There's not a ton of prep that you need to do. The biggest, biggest thing is to show your work. Don't just say, here's the answer. I know I'm right. It's here's the answer. Here's how I got to it. Yep. Definitely. Samir asks, hello, Samir. I am currently taking merely all of my prereqs, <laughs> merely all of my prereqs, except for phys- physics at a community college and then transferring to a university. What can I do to help me stand out? The lovely like stand to, out question. I like to imagine that this is Samir, that he's just a bright, shiny, that kid's probably what, four <laughs> <laughs> if, like, I'm, I'm merely taking my pre-mix at community college. <laughs> By the way, I haven't reached the age of reason yet. I'm not yet. They called me Doogie. Yes. Um, Rachel, it sounds like Samir is saying, I'm not going to stand out because I'm taking my prereqs at community college. How else can I stand out? Yeah, we're having a little, little hiccup there. There we go. Try again, Ryan. Is someone else doing that? I'm not touching. <laughs> not it. <laughs> okay. You want to talk? No, it's your turn. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Samir, yeah, this is fine. Um, 
there is there's two two different questions you asked here, although I think maybe you thought you were only asking one. So first of all, prerequisite of the community college is fine. It used to be that there were some med schools that weren't super into it, and maybe there are still a few lingering out there. So you will have to research that. But community college is a perfectly good way to get pre- prerequisites. It's affordable. And if there's a med school out there that doesn't understand that, you don't want to go there anyway. Um, it does help to do community college and then university. It, the other direction has a different look. But the, the order you're doing it is great. So that's one. The second question is, what can I do to help um, to, to stand out? Uh, that's not really the right way to think about it. What I want you to do instead is think about what you love, or maybe you don't know if you love it yet, but you're interested in it, and pursue it. And then as you're doing these activities over the next couple of years, keep a journal. You can use an old-fashioned notebook. You can use your notes mem- your notes app in, I- in your iPhone. You can use the mapped app software. But jot it all down. It doesn't have to be fancy essays. Just jot down thoughts. And then when it comes to write application essays later – you're going to have been reflecting in all these experiences and have some great stories to tell. Definitely. Yep. Yep. Peyton asks, what is the best way to approach and discuss an alcohol related institutional action? So all institutional actions, all issues, red flags on your application, the best way to approach it is to be open, honest, reflective, um, take responsibility and the alcohol uh, institutional actions typically are, I got caught drinking when I was only 19 on campus and I got an institutional action. <laughs> those are, those are the, the stupidest ones. <laughs> like Those are just like, I got caught drinking. Uh, I should have known better. I'm sorry. I'll do better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my well, thought so, with alcohol ones. Yeah. Sometimes, Ryan, when you like, you're a little cheerful about stuff, I think people might worry you're dismissing them. That's not what he's doing. No. He's just saying, and, and Dr. Wright, you can chime in because you've been on the admissions committees. You were the director of admissions. In the grand scheme of things you might have to report yes. under felonies, misdemeanors, or institutional actions, that one, I mean, it's not great, right? But there are growing pains that come out of it, and hopefully you can show that you've grown. It's, it's not that unusual, Um that that's my point yeah oh you're muted scott sorry about that uh i i that's exactly right and and i would add to that that you know uh the admissions committee members were 19 one time too exactly <laughs> and, like, oh bummer you got caught lucky i did yeah and and so i mean they get it. It, it's it's you know it is part of life and, and it's part yeah. of growing up and and it's part of being in a country where we don't treat alcohol the way we should and uh and you know the fact anyway that's a whole nother story but uh, (laughs) i I don't think you need to worry about it uh peyton and what i would just say or is it Patton? i don't know um but i would just say you know as dr gray said be honest be transparent with it what did you learn out of the experience and you should be fine yep yeah at least we're not in prohibition times anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> For now. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. They're coming for us. Uh, Mariano asks, just graduated undergrad, and I am planning to apply next cycle. I noticed that some schools require one year of English or writing intensive. Mm-hmm. What is considered writing intensive? Mm-hmm. Bernia. That's a great question. Um it, so I'll give an example at Hofstra. Um, our writing intensive courses just required a couple of extra papers, right? So more writing. Um, your school may have some courses that can be, you know, designated that way. You can check in with them and see if you've, you know, taken something that they would consider writing intensive. Some are labeled that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially it's a course where there's a lot of like research papers to write, just a lot of lot of writing. Your literature courses might count that way too. Check with your um, check with your university. Yeah. If you have a pre med advisor, check with them. Mm-hmm. Right. See yeah. what what they uh, they know to be considered and, writing. And she did say she graduated, but so many schools will give their alumni alumni, yeah. alumni service. Mm-hmm. So check check in with them anyway. Yeah. yeah, you might want to check with the English department and see if any of your English courses 
like literature type courses would uh, count that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remember that we had a big conversation about this yesterday um, in, in application Academy, just because it's an English course doesn't necessarily mean it's writing intensive. Mm-hmm. It could be a history course that is writing intensive. Yes. That mm-hmm. count. So uh, right. go, go find something potentially you're interested in and, and see what works there. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a grammar class in other words. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So Don asks thoughts on applying slash being accepted to a new medical school with quote pre accreditation status. Mm-hmm. So no school is accepting students in quote pre-accreditation status. Mm-hmm. Scott, you've been to, uh, uh, at a medical school before going through accreditation kind of reevaluation. Right. right. So new medical schools are preliminarily accredited. Correct. They graduate their first class, they're reevaluated and then they get full accreditation. Right. So pre-accreditation means they are not allowed to accept uh, a class of students yet. So, right. Um, right. But I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say that I think that the key here for a student considering going to a new, a new medical school would be um, if you are the kind of student who likes to be on, on the front end of things, if you like the idea of helping to establish traditions and to help the medical school understand uh, what, are good things that are happening? What are, you know, things where there maybe are uh, alternatives that might work better or whatever. Often new medical schools uh, really in, uh, invest in students who are uh, really interested in being, being on the cutting edge of, mm-hmm. of starting a new medical school, et cetera. There are some students who don't want that experience. They want something established. They want something that that, you know, they, they don't have to, to think about, uh, you know, that, that things are, are, are already in the, in, in, you know, well, well uh, fixed and, and all that. So I would say that generally speaking, you need to figure out what, what, what kind of student you are uh, with regard to that and, uh, and, and feel like and it goes back to fit, institutional fit mm-hmm. in terms of uh, what, what's going to be best for you as a, as a student. If you're interested in a, in a new medical school uh, because you want to be you know, a participant in establishing something new and, and having y- your ability to put your fingerprints on what is established, uh, then, then that, that would be a good option for you. If you're not that kind of student, then I would vo- avoid a new medical school. Yep. Miss Abluel, 676792, uh, is it best to prepare for both a traditional interview and an MMI interview? It is best to prepare for whatever interview you have coming up. And before you have interviews, prepare for all of it. Yeah, I don't know the current count. I think last time I looked, it was 35 schools, I think, were doing MMI. Uh, don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. It seems to be more and more every year. But mm-hmm. yeah, prepare, prepare. Jamie asks, any suggestions for how to build a school list and determine which schools focus more on research, community service, etc.? Premedyears.com slash 437, how to build the ultimate med school list. Um, unfortunately, most students go to the MSAR. They move around the little sliders and go, okay, my MCAT's here, my GPA's here. Uh, but ultimately, it takes a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of understanding of who you are, a lot of self-reflection. What do you want from a school? What do you want for your career? What are your passions? Uh, outreach kind of stuff that you're interested in and go find those schools that do that. Uh, mission fit is huge and often dismissed uh, in the process. So mm-hmm. that's what I would suggest. Michael, 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 what are some ways to get involved in research? Dr. Wright, research. Yeah, that's a good question. There, there are a number of different uh, ways that you can go about that, Michael. Uh, the, the, the best way is at your undergraduate institution or if you're a graduate student at, your, at whatever institution that you're at, uh, you know, get to know faculty members and, uh, uh, you know, ask the faculty member what, you know, what's going on in your lab? Uh, what's, you know, what's happening? Do you need, you know, are, are you accepting 
uh, students into your lab, either paid or volunteer. Uh, if there's a particular um, subject matter that you're really interested in uh, within a, a big category, let's say neuroscience or more granular, a particular you know type of research within the context of neuroscience, uh, you know, uh, talk to the pr professors that are doing that research and ask them what, uh, well, how can I get involved? What can I do? You know, uh, that kind of thing. There are also ways to do it during summers. Uh, there are summer undergraduate research programs around the country at various medical schools uh, that you can get involved in if that's, uh, if that's something that's um, possible for you to spend, you know, 12 weeks in a summer doing, uh, doing research uh, somewhere else uh, other than when you're, where you live. Uh, that's a, a good opportunity. Uh, if you wanted to take a year off or a couple of years off uh, after you graduate, you could get a job at a medical center doing, uh, doing, you know, as a, as a lab tech, as a lab assistant, uh, you know, in, in a variety of capacities so that you could get involved in, in some real research project projects, whether they're bench research or clinical research, you know, there depends on kind of what your interests are and what you might want to look for, um, uh, in, in, the, in those terms. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved in research. It takes uh, some homework on your part to find out what you are really interested in. And then it takes a, a little bit of additional homework to identify potential uh, places for you to do that, whether it's your home institution or elsewhere. You wonder, would my age affect my chances? I'm applying at 18 and finishing undergrad at 19. I'm worried that they would classify me as too young, though I have good stats and experiences. Rachel, we uh, get this question a lot. We had a 17-year-old uh, potentially mm -hmm. looking to work with the MAPT team this past cycle. Mm -hmm. Age. Is age just a number? Um, you know, in some cases, it is. But with med school, it's it's a little dicey. There are laws that protect people from discrimination based on age, but those laws are about older people. Um, they aren't really about younger people. Um, and, you know, that gets complex. I'm not going to get into the societal legal parts of it. But he here's where it gets tricky, Yuanda. If we just take your age out of it, and just think about the practical parts of getting clinical experience. Here in the United States, it is very hard to get a lot of direct patient interaction if you're not already 18. There might be some volunteer things that you can find where you get to do some clinical. But if you're doing work that's like a med assistant or a phlebotomist or, you know, an OR tech where you're really, you know, taking vitals and putting hands on the patient – even if you don't have a formal certificate for it, because not all of those jobs require that. Some just, you know, are on the job training. You usually have to be legally an adult. So if you're applying at the age where those jobs, those experiences become available to you, my first question is, I wonder how much clinical this person has. So are they going to classify you as too young? Yeah, I think there probably are some ageist people out that are out there. They're going to go, he's going to be, you know, interning when he's uh, 22 and that's too young. But, you know, I've met 22 year olds that are more mature than 42 year olds. So I don't personally care about that, but I am going to wonder how much life you've lived. I'm going to want to know if you're a mature, well-rounded adult, and I'm definitely going to want to know how much experience you've had with patients. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you apply and are rejected, it's going to be very hard to know. Is it because of my age? Mm -hmm. So, Abigail, I'm currently in a master's program working as a dialysis technician and volunteering at a children's hospital, but I'm having a difficult time finding shadowing hours. Mm -hmm. Shadowing, shadowing, the great, um, the great thing about shadowing. So one of, one of the things, where, right, we talked about kind of democratizing this uh, whole pre-med process earlier. Uh, one of the ways that um, a few years ago I tried to put some money to good use was I hired a pre-med student to develop a website called Find Shadowing, uh, which is still there, but <laughs> you're not going to find any shadowing on it uh, because this is one of the pain points that students have in this process. Um, kind of the 
uh, the haves and the have nots in the world. A lot of students who get into medical school come from uh, families who have money. A lot of students, not, not all, not the majority, but a lot of students have parents or just their neighborhood they live in have doctors that live there. So they have connections to doctors. And so I was like, how can I help the student who has zero connections to doctors? So anyway, uh, long story short, uh, fine shadowing. I continue to want to build that at some point. Hopefully the, the map team and I and, and all the students can go out and, and uh, go knocking on doors and get lots of doctors to get on that platform. <sighs> shadowing. Verinia, where can students find shadowing uh, outside of, and, and maybe that's the answer, it's just lots of knocking on doors, lots of phone calls, lots of emails. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously start with your own family doctor, whoever you go see um, or a family member goes to see, start with them. Um, Obviously, with COVID still kind of being a thing, you may have some more difficulties, but um, at the very least, we do offer virtual shadowing. I don't know that it's going to be considered, um, you know, in the same realm as in-person shadowing, but it is an opportunity to see other specialties. Um, but the, you you have a lot of um, experience. Like you volunteer at a children's hospital, you sort of sounds like you're, you're around the healthcare setting. Um, just keep asking, right? Get yourself kind of more visual, visual. What am I trying to say? Get yourself to be more visible around doctors and nurses. It doesn't just have to be the doctors, right? You can start with the nurses. You can start with the PAs um, and sort of network your way from there. Yep. 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 Lou. Got my MCAT back and the score was lower than all of my double MC practice tests. Is it bad? Is it a bad idea to try to retake it and still apply for this cycle? Rachel. Lou, my, Lou, my heart hurts for you. <laughs> um, you are not alone. I mean, there's always anecdotes out there and I'm, I'm wise enough to know that you can't make, you know, scientific assessments based on anecdotes, but it sure feels like there's more of this this spring and summer than I've heard before. Um, and, you know, it, it, it could be a million things. But, but yeah, you're definitely not alone. Uh, a lot of people are feeling like, whoa, that, that MCAT day was a killer. Um, is it still a bad idea to try to retake it and still apply? Well, no, not automatically. There's a lot of factors. Um, so uh, one question is what's happening with the rest of your summer? Right. Is your application almost perfectly done or do you were you not doing any of it because you were working on MCAT? How much are you working? Do you have classes this summer? Right. You just have to think about how much bandwidth you have. Um, you also have to think about money because it could take time and money to prep. So can you afford to buy a new practice test? Do you have practice tests left over? Um, and then some of it is just going to be how quickly can you get a seat? Because if you do all the math and you can't retake the MCAT until September, I mean, I'm not saying you can't still reapply this cycle, but it starts to be probably not a good look. You know, Ryan drew that graph at the beginning. If you guys joined late, you can go watch and watch, watch the replay. It's just post right here automatically when we're done. But as you get later in the season, there's fewer and fewer interview seats and more and more people applying. Um, if you think you can be ready to retake here in the month of June or in July, you might still be okay. And then I think you just have to think about how are you managing your time? Because you still need to get your application in at least to one school. So AMCAS will verify you. You still need to pre-write your secondaries, not just for that one school, but for all the schools you intend to add. So just be sure you're ready to fit it all in and, and good luck. Cause I know it's, it just stinks to be in this position. Kaylee asks, I had a semester of bad grades, which dropped my GPA significantly. There was a lot going on in my life and it had a large impact uh, on my grades. Where can I explain this on my application? Mm. <sighs> Dr. Wright, students mm -hmm. love trying to figure out where to, where to fit in stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, personal statement, we generally talk about why you want to be a doctor. Uh, you're not going to generally have an activity that's like, Poor semester of grades. Here's my activity <laughs> description. Right. Uh, other category. Right. Um, where where can students talk about this? Uh, good. It's a good, a really a very good question. In uh, the Texas application, you have an additional 
um, optional essay where you can do that. Uh, basically, it's, you know, anything of other significant things you want to talk about or what, whatever that you could do that in. Uh, with AMCAS, uh, I think that there's really not a very good place uh, to do that. I, I, I really discourage students from doing that too much in your personal statement. You could kind of wiggle it in there if it makes if it makes sense in terms of the the process that you've gone through uh your story uh to to make a comment about that uh for example if it was because you know if your grades uh dropped significantly because of illness maybe the illness also had an impact on solidifying your desire to go to medical school and so it kind of flows together with all that outside of that secondary applications are really going to be uh the place where where that's going to occur there are mm-hmm. secondary applications out there where there's a question specifically addressing that topic uh, you know please address any semester that you had you know, uh, a downturn in your grades, or I saw one just today where it it asked uh, the students to, um, to explain any grade less than a B, including a B minus. And, uh, and uh, so that's a, 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 an answer on a secondary application, uh, a question where you can include that. But AMCAS wise, I I just don't think there's really a convenient place uh, to be able to do that. So you have to depend on secondary applications to it as the primary way to, uh, to go about doing that. Mm Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, Time for one more. Squeeze it in. You dip. Uh, Career changer here. Currently have a degree and work in finance. Going back to get a second bachelor's degree in chemistry while working. Any benefit or disadvantage to a second bachelor's versus a do-it-yourself post-bac? Nope. Not at all. Get the classes you need. Don't don't donate any more money to the school that you that you need to. And UDIP, you sound busy. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Well, that is another Ask the Dean in the Can, episode 102. If you are newer here, we are live here almost every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, in just another month or so, we will probably start rotating people in and out because we have another advisor joining our team, mm-hmm. another uh title of former director of admissions at an osteopathic medical school. Uh, we will announce that person shortly. We're excited. So excited to, to bring her on. Uh, if you have not tried mapped app yet, so many free features. And if you want to try mapped app pro, uh, use that promo code 30 days free. When you register, that'll give you access to all of the great features of the free level of mapped and also being able to chat with one of us in the um, the mapped chat uh, feature there. Yep. Thank you all, my team, for being here and hanging out and answering questions. And uh, now go back to work. And for everyone else, <laughs> I love you guys. I love you guys. Uh, for everyone else, uh, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.